Welcome to the Realmcast. Welcome to the Realmcast. I am your host, the Mortal Kombat Phantom, and with me, as always, is my co-host, our Lore Master Yadi. Welcome, Yadi. Thank you, Phantom, and also welcome to the man sitting right next to you, Carlos Pesina. Hello, everybody. That's right. We got Carlos Pesina. <laughs> the asshole. Hold on. Can't cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> our first video interview with our guest in the same room as at least one of us. Yeah. It's awesome. How does it, I wish how does it feel? I, you know, I wish all three of us were here. And then we, yeah, it was like eight o'clock at night after dinner, and we could have a whiskey or a bourbon, oh my God, and a cigar, like out on the patio, right? On a cool day. You know, that'd be all. Or even better, yeah, we could do, I'll take a shot and do the drug ground cast. Oh, yeah, that'd be all. <laughs> <awesome. laughs> that, does that ever happen? Not yet. No, yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we got some good plans for the next time then. Yeah, but, that's awesome. uh, I'll bring the cigars and the whiskey. <laughs> sounds good. So for those of our listeners who are somehow unaware, Carlos Piscina is well known in the Mortal Kombat community as the original Raiden, which leads me to a question which we might already know the answer to, but I'll ask anyway. Who is your favorite Mortal Kombat character? Uh, that's, uh, that's difficult because I've worked on almost all of the, all the franchise, all the way up to MK11. I know this is the cop thoughts. Yeah, it's one of those, it's, I hate saying this. <laughs> And when I meet hate, it's one of those things people will be like, oh, and he's just going to say the same thing over and over again. But I, I like playing all of them because I, I get sure. to do I get to do an honor and a, a good service to my brother and Daniel Pacina, Rich Divizio, and just all the people who played in the cast. I'm able to do them a service when I try to do the motion capture side of it. But when I was doing the 2D side, really loved the old rate. But it's that whole... Mm. Mystique of the big trouble in little China and its typical subculture kung fu movie character. The guy with the head like that. Before Kung Lao did the whole Clint Eastwood thing, I was semi at least like Clint Eastwood hiding behind the head, had the eyes and everything. That's I, I, I think if it was like a, a points a point system, a hundred would be Raiden, and then ninety nine point nine would be all the rest of the characters. So, you know, because there, there's a lot of DLC that I did that obviously I didn't do all the performance or every character I had to share with other performers. When you're playing that character, let's say Alien, I love playing Alien because we grew up watching Alien and Aliens and mm. we're like, we all wanted to like, wouldn't it be great if we dressed up as Alien? I was actually physically mimicking the Alien movements or Predator or wow. Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, just different different characters and doing it justice. I'm not bleeding into this. Who doesn't want to play friggin' Batman? Yeah. Got to do Joker stuff in the mobile games. And in for the MK realm and for the rest and whatever NRS touched in Midway, you know, I just like playing all the characters. Raiden has that special place in my heart. It's also cool about the hat because you are actually you and Raiden as a result are the reason I actually love that hat when it comes to any form of design on some fantasy character or just in general. I love the hats now. It's something that's really stuck with me from playing the old games up until now. As just as much as masks have in the Mortal Kombat universe, 
to me, that's just Mortal Kombat now. And it's, that's such a great thing to add to any character's design. Yeah, it's a landmark Asian design that everybody can relate to. That and the ninjas instantly, the mask or the hat. But you were going to say something. Oh, no, I think that Raida kind of iconized or iconized the hat itself. And anytime anybody sees a rice farmer even, the immediate thought now is rating because of the influence of pop culture with Mortal Kombat. Now, generally, about this point of the interview, we like to ask people, how has Mortal Kombat affected you? But with you, it's completely different. You made Mortal Kombat. So let's go backwards. Let's look at before all this happened. Let's talk about your history before you got involved with Mortal Kombat. You ended up studying art in university, and were you practicing martial arts at this time? Or how did you get mixed in with this whole set up this whole crowd. You know, the whole culture and the whole parents defining you. Okay, so yeah, this is a just like my brother or Ridge or anybody you're gonna ask, it's a long, long well the main core group, obviously Liz Malecki and Parrish are like on that outside of the group meeting. We didn't meet them until maybe in late teens, early twenties. But for my brother and Ridge and a whole song and Marquez, Anthony Marquez, we were all together through our teen years. And as you guys know, like the teen years are one of those things where you struggle to identify yourself, but with martial arts being there, it took that away. And, but let me get into this more or less. So my dad, my dad and my mom defined us more or less to an extent, always encouraged us to pursue new things more or less with my dad. He knew some martial arts for being in the army, kind of pushed my brother into going into judo. And at the time, my brother's nine years old. So if he's like 15, I'm like four or five, I would go with my dad to pick him up at these martial arts schools, see my brother practicing. And if you're a true, let's say this, I don't want to say this is not, this is a cultural one. When you're in China, obviously it's like baseball. They teach you as soon as you're five, four or five years old, martial arts. That way you can continue on that culture. For us here in America, it was baseball and basketball and football. But when my dad wanted us to learn martial arts to an extent for self-defense and self-discipline. So for us, we grew up with martial arts and that was like our baseball. But I didn't start right away because I'm just a... From five until 11, you're just like trying to do everything and figure out what you really want to you know, focus on. And by the time I was 11, that's when I truly got into, hey, I got to do martial arts 24 hours a day. When I mean 24 hours a day, it's in your head thinking about it. But also at the age of five, my dad used me to frame Frazetta. You know, because he loved the whole, he wanted to make sure his family was educated to an extent. And when I mean educated, just self-aware and self-knowledge and also learn the basics and make sure you're successful. He wanted his sons to be successful. As they, you got introduced to Frank as the artist from like all the code. Not personally to him, but my dad was, and this is the story I was going to get to. So we're in this, we're in this mall and my dad loves reading and he loved Robert E. Howard, which was the writer of Conan, and all the books back in the seventies had Frank Frazetta covers. And my dad's like, this is a really good artist, son. One day you should look at his artwork. Granted, it's 80, there's nudities, but the nude 
bodies for a five-year-old and it wasn't looked at as sexuality thing. It was more or less looked at as hey that's art that's it. it's not this is everybody underneath without any clothes out because you've seen the men they have like conan they have just the loincloth right. and they're all written and frazetta knew how to capture that silhouette and that moment of action where it's that is the peak of action which brings me to later on in in motion capture and animation but my dad said hey you should look well read some of these books and also and at five you're like i don't care and he was also into comics and at the time marvel comics had the savage sword of conan and i could see those laying around our older brother loved comics and introduced that to my brother daniel and myself and my dad would take us all to the comic shop the smoke shop to get comic books and stuff and then i found a frazetta Volume one, the fantastic art of Frank Fazetta. And I bought it to my dad and I'm like, I had to be like seven years old at the time. Because <laughs> once again, you're distracted by many. And I'm like, dad, I remember you talking about this. And he's looked through it just in case, because he wants to make sure the content is good for a child. And he's, yeah, these are all fantastic. The snow giant cutting the guy and Egyptian queen girl standing next to the pillar the actual Conan with him holding the sword. And it's your parents define and your culture and subculture that they introduce you to define with events in a philosophical way. That more or less is how I kind of encompass that, that question you asked, but it's just add an influence of friends and family using you to new things and new experiences and that kind of propagates out and uh, kind of defines you to, mm. to who you are. So uh, hopefully that answered the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then Yanni was like, you were just saying like one, the hat defining that's right immediately seeing that silhouette. And two, you had touched upon even before this, getting me free while we're waiting to do the podcast. You were talking about how you were playing with the Stega Genesis and everything and your dad buying it. That defined how you got into a little bit of the whole MK universe. And then, Timo, what was that defining moment? Like, that this is a Mortal Kombat forever, to an extent. The defining moment for me would probably be when I think it up on Super Nintendo. Yeah, I think brought it home for the first time. And all my friends wanted to come over and play it. I was like... This is a thing. I'm going to be doing this forever. We're <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I know you discussed it before, but this is new to me. So I just, and every now and then I like, I'm more or less like knowing the origin and the, the definition of somebody every now and then. So I'll probably interject every now and then when I want to know. Hey, guys, what makes you take a little bit? Because I think that's, it's important for me and for myself because you guys supported us as friends and as fans and as, and once again, I always say this, I like using word fans, but you guys are like our friends. We haven't met yet and you guys supported us. That would be, you know, we made a game hoping the best for it. And we wanted to do a hundred percent, whatever we touch that, but this was lightning in the bottle and it got so popular and that you guys like pushed us to the top and we're very thankful for everybody for two of the gifts. He just did the rate in post. Yeah. Yeah. How was it, John? How was the sod rate, the red costume or shit? I got it on backwards. <laughs> so Carlos, we, we, you ended up going to the American Art Academy. Yeah, American Academy of Art. Yeah. So this all kind of spawned from this childhood five-year-old picking up these art books and getting into it and well, to an extent it's just like the road you guys took 
in the beginning, my parents nourished a little bit of the art, but they also were like blue collar workers, hands on, you got to work with your hands. And at the time in the eighties, it was the cusp of, and I know people got into design and marketing and Leo Burnett and all of that for illustration. But that was left to, once again, Frank Rosetta and those guys like Sal Bissendoff, everybody, Alex Ross. Once again, it was, that is the, those are the guys at the tippy top who got to get those jobs. And for me, I was like, eh, I'm just drawing comics. I'm okay. Um, it's, you're, I'm not Frank Rosetta. That guy is a, like a savant. Uh, he did, oh, I'm just going to draw and do this painting in eight hours. It's similar to anything. You put your mind to it, you keep doing it all the time and it's what you love and it's like breathing that at some point. But I went actually to school for a college because in the eighties that was like, hey, go to a college that's you're gonna do great. So I got my certificate, went two years of college, got my certificate at a college was gonna go a lot further to get my bachelor's. But at the time that my brother told me, our next oldest, so you got my brother, Daniel, Who's the oldest, meaning the next oldest. So I'm the youngest. Then above Daniel is Tony. And then above Tony is Ruben. So Tony was going to school for mathematics, substitute teacher. He got his education in music. And he said, you should become a, a teacher because I can see you struggle. And once again, it's that you can see when your family members struggle and you understand that, hey, you don't love to a bit. That's just, that's something you do and you're like, hey, I'm just going to do it because I'm okay at it and I'm good at it. That's it. And my brother's like, I get in it. I really like math. Why don't you get on to my brother? My brother's told him, I think before I got into college, he was finishing his studies and he's like, yeah, you should try this. Cause I would see him at night at the, at, at the dinner table, just doing his math homework. And I'm like, you know, and I kind of like math and I was pretty good at it. So I went all the way up to differential equations. And I think I channeled like, and I saw some motivational speaker and I can't remember who it was, but also at the time, my mom said, you know what, you, you look like you're struggling as well. Do what you love. You like doing this artwork stuff. You should really do that. And I know I spent money and time to extend on education. It was one of those things like that's that next day I went, to, I was going to go to the art Institute and I, the academy guys always made fun of the art Institute people, nothing against any, anybody, but. It was one of those things like the Academy of Art was classically trained and it might be true at the art institute, but this is one against, once again, those perceptions when you're in that social aspect where you only think of a certain thing and you don't know what's outside of that circle. You're constrained in these boundaries. And we always made fun of the artists who guys like, oh, those are the guys that like pour paint on themselves. And then they're like, this <laughs> art, which it is the art to some people, to the American Academy people. The form mm. and everything, the classical, traditional way of drawing, not contemporary. Steve. So I, I changed my mind. I'm like, I'm going to go to the academy and went there for two years. And uh, during that whole time, did illustration, some oil, some the usual charcoal, everything. Graduated with an associates. And then at that time, it wasn't even the cusp yet of. There was regular hand animation where you flip through the pages and do your flip book. But there wasn't then at that time yet of your paint or your layers or anything for the computer. Island was still developing all that in the 77 through like 82. That software wasn't available to the public yet to do what they were doing. 
And I think I just hit it at the right time after I graduated. We're talking this 10 years later. For everything to just ramp up and have technology exactly where that person needs it to be like, oh, I can just pick up Photoshop. That's, you know, that was available at the academy. Oh, there's some animation software. I could start learning some animation software before I went to actually Midway. And then when I went to Midway... Yeah, there was a job opening. I had already done Mortal Kombat. I know I'm jumping ahead, but there'll be questions that I'm sure, you know, about all of this history. But at that time, it was like, oh, I got my foot in the door and then I try to get in and you know, fuck the shit out of Jack Hager, who was there, Arthur Renker. Every week, you're like, hey, is that job still open? Just, just let you know. I'm, just, I'm still available. I did that for, I think, three months. And then I, it just boiled down to Jack just going, fuck it, just hire this guy. <laughs> Yeah, after a while. But yeah, went to the academy, but went through just like yourself. You guys know that journey, the long road. Everybody knows the long road to get to something you want to do is difficult and hard, but you got to just, you got to fucking just being stolen sometimes and just do it. You got to do it. So you just said you're jumping ahead and you're expecting some questions. So here you go. Along that yeah. journey, you obviously had mentioned already that martial arts was something you decided you wanted to do 24 seven, basically. And <laughs> how exactly did you really end up getting into it? What sort of styles did you make, maintain a focus on as you brought that to your characters through mocap? Like I said, initially when I was like five years old, the whole my dad and seeing my brother work out, by the time I got to 11, I think at that time, I was really focused on still doing art, comics, and everything. But my brother was doing martial arts for quite a bit, some time at that point. And you see, he wanted to start working out, stretching out. I would do it. We, yeah, because we had that. Essentially, we had to hang out together because my parents worked two different shifts. And they overlap, but never really. I was a kind of a latchkey kid. Because my parents were, were uh, I don't know why they they did grow up poor. We grew up poor, and they handed her a living, both of them, in order mm -hmm. to feed us and do the things that we wanted to do. And that's the other thing they never complained. Oh my god, I got us. At the time, it was probably pretty expensive sending my two martial arts classes, but it was done in the essence of this will define somebody and make them better, keep them off the streets, keep them out of trouble. So me going along with my brother is probably another added burden, but it got to be a little bit easier times at the late 70s, early 80s to go learn martial arts, go to Chinatown. I would take along with my brother every now and then, and eventually he moved to, meaning he didn't move, but he found a school that was on Broadway, and that was Seven Star Praying Mantis. So before mm -hmm. that, whatever my brother learned, I learned piecemeal stuff. Obviously I knew the kicks, punches like normal. We would train in my dad's garage. He would always, I remember, hey, this is a funny school. So we're, we're, we're in, let's say I'm like 12 or 13 and my brother is getting into, just getting out of, I think with Lama Kung Fu and into Praying Mantis. And in the Praying Mantis are, they have this iron palm call technique and then you got to train and it's a long arduous pad feel like for three months you got to be celibate and you got to you got to train your hands to be this fucking like a, a brick yeah. and, and at the end and at the end when you're done you got to in front of the teacher you got to take a coconut and fucking crack it in half yeah you know, do all that 
But during that time, my brother's working the eight-hour shifts and going to martial arts. And I remember being in the car with him and he's, I got to pick up ball bearings. And I said, what the, what, why are you picking ball bearings up for? You know? So I got to put them in a bucket because I'm with the iron pound training, got the dipped out jowl and got to strengthen my hands. And in order to do that, you got to buy X amount of, we had to buy a bucket full of BBs, like bald berries. Mm. So my brother found this place that made bald berries. And at the time, there's a tolerance for bald berries, whether they were making it for the car wheel or some type of wheel, there's a tolerance limit. And if they're no good, they don't just throw them away. They'll either melt them down or if they can't melt them down, they'll sell them as seconds. So my brother somehow found talk to somebody and said, Hey, I'll buy a bucket full of seconds and we'll use that. And I remember him bringing it home and my mom had this beautiful, tall, floral garbage can. He just took it, took the bang out and <laughs> poured, the, poured the BBs into there and then started down and training his hands to do that. And it's one of those things like it's. It snowballs when you love doing something. It just, and you guys under, it's like a fucking crash course. You just want to soak everything up that period. You, you, you want to learn that you love doing. And you just want to just, just understand all of it. So like from 12 to 13, I went with him to, to seven star praying mantis. And I think I got all the way up to at that point green because our teacher, master Lloyd or master lie, however they want to pronounce it. Meaning, whoever that we had students say it's Master Boy, and other students, Master Lie. Let's okay, let's <laughs> our teacher, it doesn't matter what you call me, just call me Master. <laughs> so we learned seven star brain mantis for a while. And then towards the end, and before talking, this is like 82, 83, and that's where he met Hosong, Anthony Marquez, Ho Young, because they were North Siders, we were South Siders, and my brother would trek the 45 minutes up to the school on Broadway take us with and then at the time in between all that my brother would teach as a side gig martial arts on the hill by our park and that's where we met rich and a bunch of other folks and once again it's that cascading moment where it's just everything you're just life is bundling through this one little tiny little saver hole and everything culminated around then where started learning after Brain Mantis, my brother wanted to go to, to China with Ho Song and start learning Wushu. Because at the time, the communists wanted to keep their heritage and propagate, even though they knew they were their culture was dying. And they're like, oh, we could teach the people, but the young kids might not want to learn it. Let's Everybody loves Kung Fu. Let's open up a little bit of China and start teaching people. So they went and learned. And when they came back, they would teach us, or when people would defect from China into the United States, we would learn from that. So it's like, a, it's once again, and I'm glossing over everything because it's just, there's so much to say about it. And here's another thing. Back in, after Bruce Lee had died, we're talking, this is from the neighborhood. I would say 75 through 82 at that peak, Jeet Kune Do was very popular. And I remember my brother going to learn from, learn at a seminar. Dan and Asano was teaching Kali methods and Jeet Kune Do, And he went and learned from that and then would come back. And he was still maybe like between 19 and 25. When you're that young, you're always traveling. And back then we didn't have the internet. So the only way to learn is actually go to somebody yeah. and learn. You can't 
look up on YouTube. You can now I look up on YouTube. Okay, this is kind of yeah, what you're doing back then. It was like, I got to go learn from this guy. Oh, and yeah. that you wouldn't, you would network that way. In that sense, that was your Google or your Yahoo search engine, or all networking and talking to people. And primarily learned every type of Chinese martial arts up until I would say recently, because obviously I'm still learning. So, was there any specific style that you chose to focus on? One that interested you more than others, or was it just all coming together? So, in 2000, I would say NK Deadly Alliance time, my brother was already doing like internal martial arts and he started going to China learning our job. So you have Tai Chi and Xing Yi. So Tai Chi is like this infinite that motion. And I'm boiling it down. There's obviously more to it. Yep. This is just trying to the cliff notes. You have this. It's like the infinite. That's their motion. And then Xing Yi is very like, like straight on. And then Bagua took the principles from Tai Chi and Xing Yi, which I can understand. Like back in 2000, this whole concept of Bagua is like a coiling. It does this. It's like a, a whirlwind. And it's not this Tai Chi doing this motion or this. It's actually coiling and doing this. And that, that from going from traditional contemporary martial arts where you're constantly doing line work. When Tai Chi's kind of like line work and Xingyi's kind of like... But Bagua had this circular motion and that was just very difficult for me to grasp that concept. Meaning in its entire, after about five years, I was like, yeah, this is the way to go. Because everybody likes fighting this way. You always see fight scenes as like this yeah. or that. Bagua likes to go this. So as soon as, and this is just boiling it down. I'm sure somebody philosophically will be like, that's all wrong. And, and <laughs> this, this is not that. This is not a history and a technique. This is just a, a, an interpretation. But Bagua, as soon as you throw that punch, they immediately want to either absorb and not deflect the energy, but use it and then go around you. So they're always behind you. And you're constantly, it's like a chess game constantly trying to catch up but they're reacting immediately and mm. attacking all the time and there's other principles in martial arts that are not taught that the walking is actually yeah and i don't want to once again the walking is also looked at as oh that's mud walking none at all there that's attacking as well as mobility so anytime you see a martial art and this is it goes as deep as you want to whether it's, uh, whether it's, I'm just going to use it for self-defense or defending war. I want to get into it so much that it's a religion. Mm. So in martial arts, you always have to look at whenever they do their stances and they're moving, it's not just because they're moving to root. It's because they're also moving to attack and they're using every body part to do something. So you always can't look at when you, when you learn something, you can't always just learn, hey, just pick this up and then that's it. No, there's a reason for doing everything, every single book or motion. So. How did you end up getting from this stage in your life to meeting with John Tobias and being introduced into Midway? So with, with John, we had a mutual friend, Andrew Kodalka. And I can't remember if John was going to Whitney or... But at the time he was, it's irrelevant what school he went to. He was this, he was this graffiti artist and we were all in the, that, that social subculture singing of break dancing. And this is the eighties. And there was, there was the goth, there was the punk, 
There was the new wave movement and everything was becoming, everything's just a subculture to an extent. And with that being said, you're introduced to new things. Breakdancing was popular. We're between our ages of, we want to meet and have a relationship, dating scene, dancing. And that kind of, back then, all of that scene involved dancing, graffiti artists, break dancers, martial artists as well, art. That it meeting, meeting Andrew through Rich Divizio, because Rich is like, hey, Andrew's got some turntables. Now, at the time we were into mixing, we did DJing for a little bit. And that was a, a, a way to make a living at the time. Yeah, I'll work two days a week and get get paid like $200 a gig. I did that for a summer. And it's one of those things like, oh, I'd rather do that than actually have a real job. Yeah. And once again, this is that whole door that opened up. My parents are glue-collared workers. And you got to work with your hands. And now this whole scene is opening up. So doors were open at in the 80s. And I met Andrew and then got to know John that way, just hanging out and just being in the same scene. Like, oh, there's John and there's the Elliot Drew. And then we're just all meeting up at places and but then just drawing comics, meaning drawing our own stuff and just, like, yeah, that's a, oh, that's a cool style. We all had a different style. And remember, John knew we were doing martial arts at one point and wanted to do, and I think he was at the Art Institute because he told me, don't go to the Art Institute, go to the Academy. It was another one of those people that helped you define yourself. And I'm very thankful for having his friendship. But he wanted to do a movie. And I think my brother mentioned the story. We never ended up doing the movie because the other car ended up at the rear end of us. And uh, wanted to do this fantastical because we were all into John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China Kung Fu movies. He was into that same scene, ILM. How do they do those effects? How do we do it? How do we do stop motion? But John was just like the rest of us, a sponge that just wanted to absorb everything because we didn't have the internet. And we had to go out and either read all these books or find somebody who's, yeah, this is how you do it. Somebody who got into it educated themselves and gave us a crash course of or clips notes of this is all you need to know to an extent you can't know everything just start off with this and then eventually just like photography and law here are the basics start with this and then it's just the world they go like a tree you branch you know, out like the yeah. tree of blood yeah you just branch out everywhere we know the story at the time that where john had called my brother and myself left a message but then couldn't get a hold of us and then called Rich up and Rich answered the phone right away to talk to him about doing this game at Midway. And out of that whole experience, I clearly remember my brother parking the car. And I can't tell you what the day or the day date, but I can tell you around the time it was like in the afternoon and just getting out of the car and running up to my brother's apartment and playing that message. And, you know, that's still vivid in my head. It's one of the few things because it, it's new, it's ingrained in. So, to do, you mentioned earlier that you ended up looking at Midway as an artist. Yes. Was this after War Puppet that you got begun as an artist? Or, yeah, this was in, I think it's like 98 ish. I've been there for 27 years. I just retired in December, 27.8 or whatever it is. But with Mortal Kombat, it's been 30 years. But yeah. Around that time, prior to do an open ice with Jack Hager, an NHL game. And at that time, it was in the middle of after Mortal Kombat 2, on to Mortal Kombat 3-ish era. 
NBA hang time slash WWE era. And it sell you had the Giants, you had Tramel, you had Ed Ed Boone, you had John Tobias, you had Sal DeVita, you had George Petro, you had Jack Hare. There were these giants down you had Greg Ferris and all the guys in pinball that the industry was at the top for the arcade and pinball. They were able to try new things. So they were hiring out new people for Jack's projects. But I bugged the shit out of Jack. And Jack Hager, I fucking love you. <laughs> he is a great guy. I learned a lot from it. And it's one of those things where, bless his soul, he broke down. I was like, okay, I'll hire this guy at home. We did open ice with Marty Martinez and a few other people and just had a great time. Because uh, you can't jump on a Mortal Kombat right away. Yeah, prove yourself. Yeah. As talented as your friends will vouch for you, sometimes things. Whether it's orbit or in a situation you're in this ring of fire and you're like, oh, you got to go prove yourself, go on. So that happened before I jumped on to Special Forces and, and Sub-Zero. But it's a positive so, to hear that you were tested rather than just throwing random people on who are untested, actually. So that is a good thing. But talking about mythologies and Special Forces, you are linked with judging by your career, basically every single Mortal Kombat game there. Is there a single Mortal Kombat game that you didn't actually do any work on or were you involved in everything? I was involved in almost everything. And what I mean, they could be like going in to show Carrie Hoskins, okay, how to, like for MK4, hey, can you help her out? You know, we want to do this back fist. Can you be the, the mediator between, which is what I eventually became like a, a director between more or less an interpreter because I knew exactly what everybody needed to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I learned that from all, I learned that from everybody there, Stal, John, Jack, one of those things where I learned like, Hey, this is the style or the look that they want. Cause I you know, worked there 24 hours a day with them and they knew exactly what was needed and was able to also be on the outside as a performer and go, Hey, this is how you have to interpret that and try to condense that to as minimal as possible. To, but it's for metric reasons. You want to be able to show somebody instantly what the IP needs, so that way the performer isn't sitting there for hours and not burning through not burning through money. It's just that's just what happens. But you sometimes need a mediator to be like, exactly, I need this. Whether it's a back fist, but when you go to here, I don't want it to go here. I want you to go full swing like this. To turn the body. So I would help out of the, with MK4 and MK3 a little bit less because John was on there. What he wanted, but just on those two games, more or less, like in the, I would say in the in, in the forest in the background, just helping out a little bit. Look, I don't want to take away from people's accomplishments in the in that game, so I just helped out on them. I like to say that. But the rest, I pretty much had, a, I would say, a 24-7 in my head involvement in After Four. Okay. Now, that was obviously, as you said, like helping direct the kind of motions that you needed to show and everything, doing some mocap yourself. How about voice acting? Did you do much of that? Or at least was any of that just going to be in the previous era of Mortal Kombat? Or how did that go? I think at MK4, there was a scene with Raiden in it when they asked me to come in and say some lines and... MK5 was more or less in the Deadly Alliance where the sound guys are like, oh, we just love that energy that the team had. And this is everybody. They use a lot of people for audio, but for Boracho, 
toward the middle of the franchise, I was used extensively. And it was one of those things where you're here and loved just making up random shit when you're, you're talking Asian. And it's, I really should learn it, but it, it's just, it's a difficult language for me. But just being Baracho, having that voice of, oh, and that deep, currently sound. Ed Herman Sanchez do some stuff too as well. So it, it was that element of audio being like, hey, let's just open the door a little bit to do a kind of fan service or friend service or people who support us. Also, we like working with these people. It's easy to get somebody in and do these sound calls. We just need like grunts. I remember doing just getting forced with grunts at everything. But yeah, did a lot of audio more or less towards that MK5 on-ish until maybe after MK versus DC, it'll then start getting a little bit more AAA game. Mm, okay. Now, because it, it, it's a kind of evolution of a company where you're still thinking you're eight people. And then you grow to 20 to 30 people in a team and you're still trying to keep everything low budget and not really knowing, not knowing that, holy shit, there's millions of people playing arcade. And then eventually becoming a little bigger budget, better budget, doing the opposite sometimes of what, like playing in the A stage. Okay, then <laughs> cut the budget in half and do the same thing. We, we had that luxury of growing and going, okay, cool, this is, this is, we're spending a little more money on. I you know, like look at MK11 as compared to day five. And the budget so. slightly changed. <laughs> but yeah, yes, yes. I was just going to say, because you mentioned Boracho, and I did want to ask, because you just demonstrated that you clearly did some of the voicing. Was Boracho firstly all your voice or was that shared? And did you actually have a hand in creating him or how did he come about? I don't want to say I designed Boracho, okay. but on the fighting style, then yes, I did. And I say I was a collaborator in a part of the cycle of design. Because obviously, Bernard Sanchez and whether it was Steve and Ed and Louis Mangabot, all those other guys, whether they said, hey, do this or change that. Bernard and had that whole, and we call it the in the Kung Fu lore, in the Kung Fu movies, it's like the dirty bastard. <laughs> it's the dirty old man with the hat. He's got the long hair and he's doing the drunken style. He wanted that whole thing. Once again, well, people have to reach out to her and say, hey, what, what was your idea about? And all these other guys, like Al Ditzig and Carl Patton and even Steve Berean and all those guys, ask them, what was your, what did you do with this character? How did you come up with her? And I can only, I'm guessing, but I feel like he did a Sambo Hung drunken type guy, not really drunken. We were goofing around, hey, I should do drunk. And then in, that Hernan yeah, being quick was like, you know, name him Boracho, which Boracho in Spanish is drunker. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to go around about Loteria, playing Loteria with the Pinto beans and the lottery, <laughs> but for Spanish. When they'd have these cards and one of them was Boracho, he's called Boracho. I said, yeah, that's great. And at the time I was from 85 to 87, I used to love doing drug it. And we started getting the contemporary wushu. You would all pick a style that we loved doing, whether it was Deton, which is the tumbling, or the or Fonza Chuan, the fast boxing, or the, which is a northern, taking all the northern styles and the best moves and making a contemporary style out of that. Or my brother, 
also Chung Chuan, but loved everything and he could do it all like fantastically. Very gifted individual that reached the busy bone. I'm a high kicker. I love doing the Northern styles, but then I also like doing Southern stuff. So I got into the drunken part and then learned from a bunch of different people and Bought that to the table. Eventually, when who would have thought, oh, you're going to use drunken style for a barracho? You know what I mean? It's that journey where, holy shit, I get to do all these things that I love for my career. Yeah. It's such a blessing. So it's God's gift, and he's going to take it back one day. But it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, so primarily did his voice, did most of it. I'm sure there was, I'm sure there was the else who stepped in to help out every now and then, mm-hmm. whether I was like, shooting or I in the development cycle you only can control so much of the stuff that you do and if somebody came in to do Oracho it'd be like yeah okay yeah they gotta do it they gotta be humble like that and be like yeah I'm your kid you can't do everything all the time so your voice like is stuck in my head from how much I played Mortal Kombat Deception because when you start off playing Shujinko you're trained by Oracho and I can still hear in my head, oh, very good <laughs> in your voice. <laughs> oh, yeah, that whole grumbling, like, oh, oh very <laughs> exactly. Oh, and it might be 20 years later, but yeah, it's as in the whole, like, oh, so, you know, that, that you're, you're doing that Yobi, Shiro Mufuni, Yojimbo, and all of that, trying to do that like a service. And once again, I, I touched upon this a while back. I'm still, you know, just another. Uh, Regardless, it's the culture and subculture that defined us. You know what I mean? It's who would ever thought, oh, I'm trying to imitate this Carlos Piscina trying to imitate Tashiro Mavuni trying to do Boracho, like, you know, and MK. It's just strong off of everything that you know and feeding off of it. It's such a great opportunity. And then talking with you guys right now, like, this is just better. It's fantastic. The dream come true. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Just on, on the topic of Varacha, sorry, actually gave me a huge source of enjoyment and many fans in the community as well, actually, because I'm not sure if you're aware of Varacha's sort of impact on the community. Many love him and many are like, oh, it's disgusting, but in, in a way where it's just, it's cool, but it's also disgusting. And then there are a few who are like, oh, it's, that's revolting. And there's one specific YouTuber who I'm pretty sure most Mortal Kombat fans know just because of how entertaining his videos were. Because he did a playthrough of Deception and he commented on it as he was going. And every time he came up to Boracho, he'd be like, this is absolutely disgusting. What is it? It's Mr. GSAR321. I'm not sure if you remember him, Phantom. But this guy is so well known, at least especially in the memes and stuff, because he absolutely hated Borracho. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for, to you for creating Borracho also just because I got to hear this guy hating on Borracho so much. <laughs> Remember, the master is always possible. <laughs> yeah, and it's a character where you're like, it's, and we wanted it to be, people love it or hate it. And once again, hearkening back to the Kung Fu mm. movies of what we would draw off of, the Borracho guy or the drunken master guy is just this old trunk when he would like pick stuff out of his soul <laughs> so it is it's good to see that because then it's cool yeah I, we did what we wanted to do we got people to love it because you love the drunken style and also to hate it because you know just, the drunken guy is just sometimes just disgusting <laughs> but yes then we did our job definitely awesome. <laughs> <laughs> with the creation of characters like Bo Raicho and Raided you've got to play these characters 
throughout the whole history of Mortal Kombat. How does it feel to kind of contribute to this creation, this ideology of building these characters and that continuously playing them for the rest of your career? That's it's it's too it's surreal. You know what I mean? I never expected we're on we're on eleven. Like you're like at a certain point, I'm sure people are like they had a and this is like one of those it's, it's getting close. But Tom Cruise doing Mission Impossible Eleven, people just love it so much. And at the time when I told you guys, it's twenty four seven in my head. And now that I'm retired, I'm a little bit able to step back. But dude, this is different. This is entirely different. I'm able to enjoy this. I'm able to step back because I thought of Mortal Kombat 24 7, trying to, and I hate saying this because of injustice, but trying to do it justice of this is how my brother would act as Johnny Cage. This is how Kano would act as, this is how Rich Divizio would act like as Kano or any one of the guys like Parrish or anybody, just trying to do that as service and also ensuring that you're intellectual property is consistent throughout every game and they'll have some changes but they'll also have some some consistency people want to see 90 percent consistency and then it changed 10 percent, and then the next it'll be 80 20 but it'll seem like it's 90 10. you're trying to do trying to do a service to, to to the guys who actually define the characters and then trying to insert your own style into it obviously oh song was Liu kang trying to do that service, but then also drawing off of Bruce Lee was a big impact on us because we grew up in the 70s when he had this philosophy. And I know everybody says be like water, but he also said, just that no limit as a limit. You know what I mean? Don't limit yourself. You're basically fighting yourself, your own fears and stuff. So kind of the, it's an honor. And two, it was neat kind of doing some of the newer characters and having what designers would come in try to like direct or feed or funnel something into me. Hey, this is, I want this guy to Kung Jin react. And I want to do this or that, but trying to define that. So that way the MK community would be like, oh, new character, fucking cool. Let's pick it up and look in that. And try to do that for every character. Like Ferritor, that was a very difficult character to try to one motion capture to get the MK community on board with it. But we did our best and we thought we did a great job with that. And not just picking that up, but you got Movado trying to, he's one of the least picked characters, but trying to still have him in that MK IP mm. and make it consistent. I'm trying to do that for the people who play the game because obviously they don't want to go into a game and go, what the fuck? This guy's from Tekken. <laughs> I mean, this is who, this is Sparang or this is, or this is Ryu from Street Fighter. <laughs> Cobra. Or, 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 <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That, that that was an awesome character to to help divide the whole. Because that's back in once again, just, it's two thousand, you know, late late nineties, two thousand, and you get that guys, you guys would understand this. So the old Karate Kid, mm. the Cobra Kai, trying to do a nod to that. Yeah, it's just we love it. Now look, culturally, it, it turned around, and now it's on, on YouTube on demand for old Cobra Kai. And it's yeah, it's just this resurgence and it's, oh shit, this is what people have bad that we paid homage to it. I'm sure there were, it was an homage and there are a bunch of other games that real, real quickly to touch upon. I know Blizzard did a homage to Johnny Cage in World of Warcraft. One of the 
one of the bars he walked in, there's a guy with to look like my brother a little bit with it because he's Johnny Cash. Yeah. Come on. I need to find the character, yeah. the glasses and everything. And it's just a touching moment where you're playing a game that you love. And then they also touch upon culture and subculture. And you're like, oh my God, there's a guy who looks like he's not Johnny Cage, just something else. And you're like, well, fuck it, It's just a nod. His, his name is a Tommy Blaze or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had no awesome. idea about yeah. this actually. That's the first I've ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah, that was like early on. And this is after, I think it was this section when Wild got popular and we needed. It's funny because we tend, when a game comes out, the designers and game testers, they'll play MK, but everybody else will gravitate to something else, whether it was at the time Quake, World of Warcraft, Diablo was another one, or just regular World of Warcraft 3. We would go, oh my God, that's, you just need to blow off steam and not think once again. It's a good bit. It was 24 7 for me, Mortal Kombat all the time. Yeah. And it, going back and talk a little bit more about Raiden, what was it like defining that character from the beginning? What did you get from Ed Valdez that time? And how much of that did you bring to the table yourself? I would say, because it's myself, I would, I, 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 everybody had a hand in her collaboration and it's an extent. But I would say for me, it was like, I would say 80, 90, 10. Once again, John or Ed saying, hey, I want this move. Can you come up with, and it's once again, it's a fill in the blank of, can you come up with how to get from A to B and make it look good? You know what I mean? Like the calling of the thunder. Some people would, and it is, once again, this is where I'm thankful that they gave me the opportunity to define this character where it was like I would draw on like everything that I do and go, okay, I want to spin my hand around like Tai Chi a little bit. And once again, this is where that martial arts background, that, that film background, the love of arts and everything else funneled into one moment where you're like, oh, Raiden summons the lightning up from the heavens. Tai Chi would do like that whole circular motion and it'd go up like that. But then there was also a moment in... Chinese war would the guards would wipe off their dust before they went to see the emperor and then yield down. So I more or less, instead of them saying, go A to B, I would go, okay, I need to fill that up. So I'm here in the stands and then go, how I do that and fill all of that in. And that's why I say 90 tenant because right now somebody's telling you, and can you guys know this? If I go to pick up this, these glasses or move like that soda can, Everybody's going to have a different interpretation of how to do it to an extent. It's that microcosm in your head of like how to get from B to B, how to get that defining moment, how to interpret that. And if it's a positive thing when you're like it's filled and you're acting, you just don't want to go, okay, director said do this. He's going to yell at it. Like, like you bring it to life. Or do you want to be viewed when somebody's watching you on film going, Oh, he just picked up the glasses instead of going to shit up. What do you that? And then do this. Yeah, there are little subtleties that get hmm. stand out. So that's why I say 90-10. Yeah, throw a straight punch. It's all okay, throw a straight punch. But now can I add a bit more you know what I mean? flair you're to you're doing mm. Yes, exactly. You're doing inflection. You're doing... And obviously you would punch like that. You know what I mean? Well, sometimes this this was new for us. We were acting, and sometimes you really don't. And they sometimes get nervous when they're in front of the camera. They'll say, nah, 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 but they do get a little hesitant because they're conscious about their performance to an extent, 
But then when they're doing that, they fight themselves and they're never relaxed. And so sometimes they're in new performance. Oh, here, it's like, oh, no, 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 give me a little penetration. And then they do that mm-hmm. shoulder. Or you got your fist like that, you know, like whether it's leopard or this, give me a little in between that. There's this inflections, like you just said, You're trying to add that to it. And I tried to continue that all the way on to MK11, where you would have performers in, and I wanted them to be just as myself, define that character. I would always say, okay, because they would always ask me in directing, directing motion capture, the designer would say whether we agreed on how we made up the move, whether it was like, Hey, I was in the, in the table read, I changed it to this. The performer would always ask, what are they saying when they're aimed the kick differently or do the sidekick a little weird or, you know what I mean? I would interpret it. Oh, in the game, you have your pit boxes and they would want you to shovel your kick like this. So I would give them an example that sometimes you catch yourself being a robot and going, oh, okay. And then that's it. And then I was like, cool, now do it how you would do it, mm. opposed to yeah. reading me. Yeah. And, and you need that because you want, you don't want people to be a robot. You want them to define, want them to be the actor and define that character more or less. So that's how I interpret it. John and Ed would say, obviously they had moves that they were like, this is specifically what I want. And then we would, do exactly, but then also give a little flair and they would be like, oh, then it was their 90-10. What was it? If they did the collabor- uh, the design of 90%, I executed 10%. But I feel like I actually defined, no, and this is my opinion. Obviously, you guys should interview Ed and John and say, hey, how did you know, get their point of view on it? But this is just my opinion. I define the character Tobias actually designed the character I executed is designed. And I'd like to say I did a, a service. Mm-hmm. Sleep, Many know? Mortal Kombat fans around the globe would agree and, with that. <laughs> thank you. We yeah, appreciate it. And about hopefully and continuing on all the way up to 11, I did a good service of trying to keep that IP consistent. Yeah. So speaking of Raiden, just there's one character I would like to touch upon, but Raiden had a sort of dark version as well would you was there any of the sort of variations of raiden that you would say stuck out to you more that you preferred over another for example as as far as i've heard certain individuals within the community don't like dark raiden or some people love dark raiden but some prefer light raiden what about you i actually like dark raiden and it's because i was there for the design more or less of it once again it's that whole moment during the franchise where you had somebody, and I think it might have been John Bogle, or and once again, you'll have to ask John, like, how did this Dark Raiden come about? Was it you and Ed? Was it was it part of the storyline already? And you introduced, mm-hmm. once again, Ed was probably part of the collaboration for that. But I remember Lewis Mangabot at the time, and this is during the MK5 from 7, you know, all the way to Armageddon time where Lewis was and I were getting into Master of the Flying Guillotine, once again, Kung Fu movies, and Tai Chi Master. And I remember Lewis wanted to do a version. We already had Dark Raiden, but he wanted to do the Tai Chi Master bad guy with the black Mm -hmm. armor, the padded leather black armor, that version of Dark Raiden. And being close to martial arts and in the concept of being Raiden, 
that one sticks out to me as a, it's the original once again, the deciding moment. You have to understand that I know people say, hey, there's a light at a dark side, but everything in life is intertwined. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's one of those moments where, yeah, Raiden brings everything to light. He's, a, he's the hero, the thesis, more or less. And then Dark Raiden is on the other side, the and it de Debor, he's the anti L. He's the guy who like just wants evil and, and it's all gay to an extent. And I think there's a great contrast in that balance. People should just sit down and meditate for a moment. Like, why do I not like Dark Raiden when more or less they should say yeah, Raid Light Raiden's great and that Dark Raiden needs to be there for a mm. balance. And I'm not saying you don't know, change your mind. Obviously, people are like, nah, I don't like him. That's cool. The majority of the fans seem to actually love Dark Raiden. It's just I've seen a very select few. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dark Raiden. Probably my yeah. favorite take. And I think it's less of an evil Raiden and more of a sort of lawful good Raiden good. and chaotic good Raiden, if anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to an extent. But I wish they would have played him more chaotic neutral. You're never going to know what the hell <laughs> yeah. to, you know what I mean? But on the evil side a little bit. But yeah, that's a great way to... to that's a great analogy. How to define it. I'm super curious, and my... Younger self would kick me for not asking this question. Tell us about your favorite nephew, <laughs> Kid Thunder. Okay, Kid Thunder was, I think it was a John Tobias, uh, John Tobias, John Bogle joint with uh, the small, shrunken uh, Raiden. And at the time, I would like to say that uh, this is just my opinion. I don't know, though, like, this, uh, it's a, you will have to, like, talk to people to see what was actually that dividing moment. Because at the time, I believe the super deformed. Japanese anime stuff was very popular. And then that's how it got to be like, you know, the whole kid thunder mm-hmm. to an extent. And John Vogel doing that one, one day you guys should get John Vogel to get that, him to do that kid thunder voice. Can't do like, <laughs> <you> know, <right? laughs> but it, it's one of those things when it was like, what a point when we were told about it, Hey, we wanted to do this. We thought it was fucking the best <laughs> thing in the world. And Obviously, I've had a son by my son Calder, and without the Nimes of these kids <laughs> under from now on, without cease my son. Does martial arts, did, did some work for Netherrealm, but it didn't get into the game. But we still used him for some motion capture stuff. And just like his dad, kind of a little natural, he's natural at, at, at doing that stuff. You know what I'm saying? When they actually made the character, they, the rumor was always that they brought. Somebody's nephew was in the studio and, and filmed him, but that was actually you shrunken down. I think it was me <laughs> shrunken down. If it was somebody else filmed his nephew in the studio, that, that's, and I'd love to hear that still. Yeah. Not nothing is because you can't be there 24 7 right. as possible. Like, hey, somebody's visiting. Cool. We got this friendship idea. We just throw this hand on and then we'll shrink Carl's body and be as possible. <laughs> but it's well, So we've uh, got Raiden. We've got Kid Thunder, apparently, which was also, you just shrunken down, apparently. We've got Boraicho. And there's one other character who I'm very curious about. And this one is very important to me because it comes from my favorite game, Mortal Kombat Deception. Oh, sorry, oh. Deception and actually Deadly Alliance, technically, too. But MoCap. Yeah. We have MoCap. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as I'm aware, he was created as an homage to you. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and I'll say that arrogantly, as as humbly as Steve and Steve Perret, they are director at Netherrealm Studios. And at the time, he was a, I think at the time, he was a character guy. 
he was on the animation side that John and I started just doing animation. He was supplementing on character. And he had, him and John had approached us like, Hey, you guys are, and this could have been once again, a trickle down from Ed also being involved in, in, cause I never really picked anybody's brain. I was always humble about it. I never picked it. Like why would I, I understood why they did it. Cause at the time I did for all those three games, I think I did about 90% of the motion capture like after deadly Alliance, Cause I think we used, we used my previous martial arts, Kung Fu brother, Del Torres. They did some great mantis and stuff and Taekwondo master, female, and, and a karate guy. And you'll have to excuse me because I, I can't remember everybody's name, but we had them come in and do some stuff. And after a while, we were just short on time and short-handed on staff that Ed was like, hey, can you just do all of it? Because obviously you're that in between the, whether it's design then there's me and then there's a talent. Can you just get in the suit and we'll just talk to you directly? You say, well, can you forget me? You've been doing it for so long, you know, what MK wanted to and help it out. And you're in the studio, you know, the culture that exists in the studio and how he, he thinks you're an animator, you know, how fast things need to get in that time limit. So what? <clears throat> so I, I was approached by Steve and John, Hey, we want to do this homage mocap thing. And it was the mocap student with my, and my face on it and my face mm -hmm. scanned and one uh, and the texture on there. And it was, it was, I was truly humble. It was very touchy to be able to be in the MK realm as like, oh, shit, I'm trapped <laughs> in the real MK video game. There's like a tongue in cheek thing, art trapped. And you were also art trapped because you're, and not trapped as in a bad way, but you're, you're on the production team, you know, part of the project team then, and very humble, Masty, that, you know, saying a few lines while in story mode, John writing. That was a very out. important line yeah. you said as well. I'm not sure if you remember it. But no, I can't. I, it's, <laughs> it's like that whole William Shatner Star Trek moment. <laughs> Do you remember in uh, what was it like? <laughs> basically, <laughs> go no, for it. Say it. <laughs> Ow, my balls. Yes. Yes. So we're apparently yes, supposed to punch you. In the chaos realm, when we come across you, right. and uh, if you do it, Van Tim, then we basically unlock a fighting style video. You want to give him a punch or? <laughs> and it's also an that's also an inside joke. Crossing your nuts relates back to the MK, the Raiden Superman move. Me crushing my nuts on the staircase, and also whenever we wore because at the time in the motion capture suits the nodes. The nose were really hard, and when you would take a fall, man, you would have a you would have a bruise Ooh. on whatever you landed on. Yeah, and at the time, I, had, I don't know who came up with it, whether it was Tom, Tom, Arm Brewster from Mocap Solutions or whatever. They came up with a, a softer nose that when you, the action guys would do it, it would be a little it wouldn't be painful when you landed. And then eventually, you just got rid of the art. I mean, they were hard. They were like like as hard as a golf ball. Like that hard, those notes, yeah. And it's like when you fell on it and you're like, shit, I just got to do it over and over again. I remember one day doing, I'd say a hundred falls in different ways. Cause I think there was a mode in one of the conquest modes where there was this wall and you were able to shoot. We were supposed to be able to shoot like the guards on the tower. And I had to fall like different ways as I, cause back then we didn't have ragged golf physics. 
So I would fall and just hit them at different ways. And I don't think the feature got into the game, but yeah, still took all it. that pain for no reason, if that's you the know, case. And it, yeah. it's a development. Yeah. And you couldn't look at it as no reason. Or we were hoping, once again, is that 100% hoping that something yeah. would end up in the game like that. And it doesn't happen. And it's like anything in life sometimes. Hey, shit, I didn't do the 10 things yeah. I was supposed to do today. It's always tomorrow. We always took the my bulls quote also as a sort of reference to the fact that there were actual bulls on the suit. But you were immortalized yes. not just as mocap, but also <laughs> basically named within the games as Agent Parlos Casina. <laughs> yes. The Satan emissary <laughs> who joins the resistance. Was that a surprise to you or did you know it was going to happen? No, we yeah, we knew that it's a it's there was a John Volvo. I'm going to put this in, and I think he did a an Aza Firo as well for Anthony, who's also mm-hmm. animator at the time. And it's one of those things like when you work so close with a team, you're always like feeding off of each other. Wouldn't it be nice to do this and that? And I'm truly humbled by them allowing to to do stuff like that and think of me that way. Of like, oh, this is me. Can we do this? For me, it's a humbling experience when people reach out to you and request things, and I just really appreciate it. And it's, you have a great team working with that team. This has been fantastic. Yeah, though it's just over a couple, over, over a cent, half with a century, what, 25, 30 plus years working with the same people and just creating content that people love and still being, back then, still being able to do it, just a, Truly an honor working with all those people, especially with Ed Boone and John Tavares. Well, truly, thank you. Thank you again. So you mentioned getting your balls for in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> what about any other injuries that you might have came across when you were, like, during your career? In my, I always had this rule, like, in the motion capture studio, like, I, I have to be there because I also did the stunt coordination and helped out making sure everybody's safety. My track record was perfect. Nobody got super injured like I did. Some people got, ah, it's just a bloody nose for a second. And then, hey, you just sit it out. Or, But nobody got truly hurt while I was on set. But I did get messed up a couple times. And it was one of those things where I had to, you have to tough it out. Because I, I just, once again, I 24-7, love Mortal Kombat. Loved working on the IP and I came, I could say I gave it, I didn't give up, but I was like, I stayed hard throughout everything. The, I think on either Deception or Deadly Alliance, we had one more thing to capture before we closed out three months before you got a ship. And it's not that something was needed. It's just that we needed a run. And I remember running and I warmed up and I did everything perfect. And then while we filmed, I did the run, but at the last step, I tore, I think, my, my sciatic Ooh. all the way down, all the way down to my heel. I didn't tell those guys. And I said, I think I injured myself. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. When are you guys going to get that animation? Oh. <laughs> okay, and it wasn't like that because I didn't say I'm really hurt. You know what I mean? I played it off and I let them know, yeah, I'm not injured. But that night, man, I, I could not sleep. I thought I was going to cry. It was like one of the worst injuries I've ever had. And it went from my back all the way down. And I was lying down. And I, to this day, I was like, holy cow. I, I had tears in my eyes. Like, almost, I should have went to the doctor because the next day, 
I got to go in and animate, but I'm like, oh my God, I look back and everything oh is all God. purple all the way up. Gosh. Yeah. And then once again, there was another time doing proof of concept for MK uh, in between MK 10 and 11. And it was funny. did the same thing stretched out and, and I'm in the suit. Yeah. Taylor, Troy Marquez there, which is Anthony Marquez's son, very talented individual. And Chris McClure, who means a lot, very fucking talented. He's like my protege. I like funnel, tried to funnel almost everything, Chris, almost everything. Just got to hold a little bit back. <laughs> no, I tried to funnel everything through him. And we were filming a fight scene and everything was perfect. Rehearsal, everything. And just when it was go time, I like, yeah, to do it. And friggin' tore my hat. And everybody's, and it's, it's got to be late at one o'clock and we still have four or five more hours. Director Marty Stoltz and Dan Whalen, who's now there, I think might be the lead of the cinema group. Just there looking in shock, holy shit, that day's blown and we got to, we need proof of concepts. And me being a team player, I'm like, because it's, you know, I, I know what I can work through mm-hmm. and what I can't work through. And it hurt bad. And I said, at the time we had Todd Keller, the lead of the cinematics group and producer. He's like, okay, that's it. He goes, you know, and he's very, hey, you can't, you got to shoot next week. We got to make sure you're all right. And I said, you know what? Fuck this shit. Just, you know, put my leg up and I like taped it up with duct tape. So that way, because anytime it moved, everybody's been through this. I felt, oh my God, I can't, you know, but as soon as I taped that all up, all the way to the top from here to here. Yeah. And duct tape and very tight and just popped like four ibuprofens. And I said, waited a half hour and I said, I'm good to go. Let's just keep doing this. And once again, this is that dedication, stupidity and dedication to the franchise because I knew I could work through it. And there are a lot of stunt people who do that type of thing. They will not tell anybody like they're injured and keep going. There's just many stories I heard of, like, you know, God bless her, Mindy Kelly, like same thing on the Paul Mitchell. I think she broke her ankle. She had to do the show. She, or I think was, I can't remember. You'll have to ask her because we used her as a performance. But she had an injury that was so severe, she kept going. And then when she went to the doctor, they were like, you really have to get this fixed. But once again, the dedication and, you know, that just knowing when to say, hey, I got to stop for a little bit. But at the time, I didn't want to let down mm-hmm. hundreds of people on the building. Um, and there there's been a couple of times that is bad but you're just like hey i can't just it's two things you can't let you don't want to let yourself it's, down you don't want to let people down and you say it's stupidity and cycle. dedication it's also seems to be selflessness too you're obviously thinking of everybody else around you you don't want to waste the day and everything so that's something to be commended yeah to an extent but you don't want people using that walking yeah. all over yeah. your ears we do have to tell we do have to express our limits but I'm sure you guys know this where it's, hey, this yeah. is where I have to draw the line. Otherwise, you're taking advantage of me. We've all ran into that situation. I think we all have to be a little more vulnerable because yes. we need to protect ourselves. And we also need to say, this is the line. Whether if it's a life-saving situation, obviously that line is blurred because it's mm-hmm. based upon the situation. And that's why I said stupidity. Because on my part, we probably could have stopped. We weren't shipping but once again, you're right. It's commendable and it's selfless. I just love being on that team. Or the IP, something that John and Ed and my brother and everybody else created. I'll create this side. 
trying to keep that legacy. Well, you've mentioned the team and you obviously worked with a great team who you were happy to be with for so long and such. Apparently on that team, according to online at least, your nickname was One Take because you literally just needed one take for everything you did? <laughs> not arrogantly. And, not a, and this is a Steve Baran, John Vogel joint, but they called me OTP, One Take to see it. And once again, and it's funny because once again, I was so close to the team. I worked with this I and do immediately get on MK Deadly Alliance. And I always say MK5. This is just how the development cycle, that's what we were working on. And it wasn't named until a quarter of the way in or a third of the way. And just being so close to the franchise and knowing exactly what everyone needed, I was able to pull it off to be like, okay, do a punch. And once again, being in the suit and having everybody say a million things to me and you're trying to, to follow that and go, okay, I need to do this because we have 60 characters to do. I've done the math. We got to ship by in a year and a half. And I only have maybe less than five minutes mm -hmm. to do this. It'll take, let's throw a punch at, and then, okay, was that good? Yes. Perfect. All right. And constantly taking in that direction of, okay, now cut the pun short and just trying to do your best on every take. And it's easier when you're there for the development and you're the performer and you're actually animating it as well, you know, and, and cleaning up the data. We didn't have, and this is what I want to clear up a couple of things. Had to be the mocap tech, had to do the post process and any, any final adjustments. And in addition to that, being in the suit take direction, be the performer, and also direct myself. Yeah, there's very few individuals, and once again, not Aryans. This is just a, a confidencing. Yeah, there's a, a handful, maybe less than a handful of people who can really do that type of that type of work and know the development cycle and also design beyond that, design characters and also do concept art. It's just, I was a jack of all trades, just loved it and loved doing everything. Yeah. How did it feel bringing Raiden into a whole new universe when you start working on games like Injustice? That was uh, two things. And I'm not saying it's a state difficult. You, you have this hesitancy sometimes. I will say this. When you're stubborn and you're like, it's difficult. But when you look back, you're like, oh, there's a hesitancy to try to have this character grow and try to adapt to the times and the culture. You have other people who have joined the team and are now doing the storyboard. And sometimes you're like, oh, I would, and I'm married to more or less like Raiden. And you know, I view myself as Raiden. Sometimes you're like telling the story writer like Dominic, I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that? But that's not me. But it's like, hey, wait a minute, we're, yeah, this is not a new direction, but hey, we're trying to, uh, somebody else trying to infuse more or less what they have into the franchise. So you gotta let that people grow and do that. It's, I don't know, why would you push that, that, those glasses that way? Why didn't you push it from the back here? You know what I mean? This, that's the way I looked at it. That he was trying to push it from here. And I was like, why would you do Instead of going, hey, okay, we should do it that way. You know what I mean? And just letting it evolve. It's an evolutionary process to an extent. Because obviously you have that, that the, the times and the cultural and what's relevant in the subculture and, uh, and Sometimes I'm old school, stubborn headed, but I just didn't want to do that. With Dark Raiden, it was different because that subculture was, was you know, like I grew up with it. 
gently enticing that sir that it was easily acceptable. I think if it was and Dominic shouldn't have framed it or whoever else came up with the story at the time or it whoever decided whether it was the creative director at wanted a different direction. That wasn't really funneled down to me to an extent. It probably was, but me being a stubborn eddy guy sometimes it's you know, because I, I could be an asshole to work with sometimes, but I know yeah. what I want. No, it's true. Sometimes we can right? We can be difficult. And it's sometimes you just got to step back and go, oh, I, I've called myself doing that in MK11. Where you're like, this is how I want it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I would tell, I'm going to tell this moment, sorry, because it's related. There was a moment where Dan Whalen, animator on cinema, very talented individual, worked on the cinema story. He would work with me for with the choreography and Mari Stoltz. He was like their more or less their lead animator. This is at the time their lead animator who won't work with everybody to get like, hey, this is how the action is. He would be responsible for the cinema animation. Where myself, Tony Safiro, Rick Chase. Freddie Palma and a few other guys, John Martinez, were the in-game involved with that. And Paul Garcia, the designer, and Nick Castro, and Mike Botillo and those guys, they were the designers, and we, we had a wrangle on that. So I remember once Dan wanted to change something in a fight that I had choreographed. And I was like, in the heat of the moment, under pressure, and I was like, Dan, I'm just not doing that. I'm not going to do that. And then it took me 30 seconds to pop out of that moment. There's other things influencing you. And I looked at Dan and I'm like, you know what, Dan? Just give me 30 seconds. I think we can do it. He looked at me like, what's <laughs> going on with Carlos here? But he understood because he knew, hey, this is your thing. But he had, a, he had a great idea. And it's one of those things you can't think of everything. We people who support you to, to infuse you or infuse the situation with creativity. When I step back, I'm like, Dan, you're here. Yeah, let's, let me think about it. Let me see how we can do this. And it took 30 seconds. Sometimes you gotta put yourself in that check. So what is this? One, is this better for what you're working out or collaborating with? Two, is this, there's a bunch of check boxes you gotta go. It's gonna help the IP. It's gonna help the relationship. Is this going to be something great that's like, Back then, you're like, oh, God, we shook hands and we made this beautiful stop. You got to step back for a moment sometimes. Even when you're in a relationship, arguing with your loved one, you just got to go, you know what? I need a moment. Hold on, hold on, Because there's all this other stuff that's in my head that's, what's that demon inside you blocking you? You're not going to fucking do this. You want to do things a certain way. And you got to quash that motherfucker sometimes and hurt. Is here over here right now? Oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. No, no, let's do this your way. Because you had to step back and do. Yeah, you want the best yourself. So with that 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 camera going down, I'll share a moment of the mocap studio. Mister, early on we had the Vicon system. You know, I think we had twenty four or thirty two cameras. I can't remember. But I remember we were filming, and somebody backed up and turned off the hubs on a wall, a certain section of the camera. And we were shooting like the half of the day. And there's no way you can tell like the software doesn't, at the time it must've been a bug, but the software did not tell us. It, it looked like the cameras mm. were all on cause they're all red eyes. They're all like, they're all red and they're all on, but I think they were still getting power somehow. 
and it's not the way that we changed it up or leaked it, but all the hubs were off and there was no information, no information being recorded. We only had half the wall and it didn't post. And I'm checking the cameras. We got the operator and I don't know who it was at the time. They would have never known. It's just, if this was on and this was on, but in actuality, it wasn't recorded. Yeah. And it's, it was like one of those stressful moments. Holy cow. Could you imagine if they bumped into the hub? They were nowhere near the enemy. They were purposely doing it. Something just touched it and it was just wrong, whether it was a static electricity, but, and then we recorded the rest of the day with half oh, of the man. system. But it, with that happening, it's a good thing because then eventually I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm tearing down the system and each hub is going to have, each wall will have section of the cameras. I made it so that way, like every camera on every wall was connected between all the hubs. So if one of the hubs came off, it would be in an array, not randomly, not randomly, but there was a pattern to it. Oh, these 10 cameras on all these four walls will go off, but we'll stay on have the rest of the 70 something other cameras because we eventually upgraded this system. I was like, okay, that can, and then obviously this is a little learned thing. Motion capture guys would have been like, what are you I didn't know. And no, I didn't go to school to learn that. Mm. It was like on the job learning all of it. Yeah. No, most of that stuff. And a shout out to Jim Gentile. He headed up the motion capture studio during the midway days, helping out. And then we broke off, meaning that MK team broke off and we would learn the system by ourselves and eventually just run the system on our own. He would do it for the the sports and the other games and then we would do it just for mk we had our own team because it's we became more or less wanting to capture all the time and constantly and we didn't want somebody a burden to be a burden not somebody hey we got to go into the room and capture well it was not capturing that thing we have to we just wanted to walk in and more or less that's how the nether elements built them that motion capture studio so you can walk in and then less than 10 minutes, he could be up and running and ready to go. And it's thanks to, you know, building that system, Freddie Palma, John Martinez being on the team to be able to do that. The IT people just for having that support. Yes. Interesting. So, yeah, that's really cool. I realized that they kind of built this whole technology based off of everything that you guys have done in the past, which makes sense, but it is full of fear about. Yeah. It's growing from 2D to 3D. Same thing with the adapting. So remember early on at MK, MK5, then Leal on it. From four to five, it was like, hey, let's try to recreate MK2 through MK5 with their walk cycle and their, whether they call it like the dance card or the locomotion or navigation. Insert your word here, movement. We tried to replicate that from two and some of that fighting aspect that people like from two. You know what I mean? Because yeah. obviously out of the whole franchise, everybody loves to, because one, mm-hmm. it does everything, which we love. That has a place in our heart. Two, meaning the addition of up reds and yeah. tightening up that fighting style. This bulls is fantastic. So we're trying to draw off of that. I'm curious. We've talked to some of the other cast members of the past that have more and more come at one more come at two. We don't want to end up happening with them. But you stayed around with Netherrealm at this time. Was it because they were more contractually based while you were actually an employee at Netherrealm? Or is there a particular reason that you ended up staying with Netherrealm? Or we had Planet Regis? When Midway was going defunct, 
it was it, that was a difficult time as you see you see friends go and people being dropped because they're still trying to yeah the main IP is Mortal Kombat and then that was the bread and butter when I was on the team and to be honest Ed wanted to keep the team together we worked on eight five through six together in Justice right. versus the seats it should be called pre injustice to an extent. But it did have MK. Doing that, I, there's this synergy with MK9. We were, before the defaultness or the, the bankruptcy, we started working on MK9 and just wanted to see that to fruition to an extent. Also, we're having the luxury of Warner Brothers wanting to purchase the IP held out. But I stuck around because, once again, it's that devotion and you don't want to leave and see hundreds yeah. of people lose their jobs. We had a lot of people that, you know, that you love working with. with Rick O'Meara was at White about working with him and he was just getting, I mean, just from a, a transition from a contractor to, and I worked with him on Shaolin Monks as well, because he was just a contractor out under working on the opening with him and Mari Stoltz and the rest of the people in the cinema group back then. Seeing those people that you grown up with and had a camaraderie with a friendship meant more than just I need to take off and do my own thing, or, which I could have done. You know, I had people from Sony and everybody else reaching out and saying, come here and do this and that. And at the time, I just wanted to, like now, I wanted to do what made me happy. That what would make me happy is seeing myself happy and other people and staying out of this motion capture lead animator at the time for the NRS or NetherRealm. And then also having that adventure. You don't know what's beyond that door. You open the door and you can see it's a fucking beautiful day out, but you're like, when mm. I step out of the clouds, going to show up. And it's, yeah. it's because we used to know, and this is what I draw out of on my experience. We've seen that with Studio Niyade and Taufei and a great group of individuals leave and wanting to do an IP and saw that fail, you also don't want to fail. Looming stud here, again, to stick around and make beautiful music together. And it was a great, a great experience. I mean, staying out as an employee, yeah, I'm sure I could have contracted out, but you wanted to, I wanted to more or less define. And that's always been my goal, like to find something and be able to walk away from a legacy and still have your legacy drive that intellectual property and it and the rest of that legacy. Like I can walk away from MK and everybody else still understand or love what, what was done previously from MK11 before it. And then I could also leave and go, and they're still, and this is not an arrogance thing. It's, wow, they're still using some of those that I did, whether they're splicing things together as an animator or not being able to say like that's how i moved during some of those motion capture moments people are still trying to draw off of that it's It's a big shift now because obviously after what was it over 30 years i think we said at wb or at midway and wb you've decided to step away what was like was there any full reasoning behind that was it just it was time or not for Hmm. right now it was a time you know what I mean? I'm going to say that. I think it's a, it's, I don't want to discuss it. The thing is, Abra just retired in December and then yeah. just move on to something new. You know, it's, 
I've defined a franchise for so long in collaboration. I don't want to like be made it. It's, it's so difficult to say, Hey, I defined this. And, I, and it wasn't solely me with a collaboration with everyone you're working on uh, with the studio and production, but I could say from say, and you know, I had a legacy in there and being able to walk away and go, that's, 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 and you don't want it to die and you open it. It, it sees there's a new door to open for that. That, and let's hope they take that opportunity. And if not, it's, that's up to them. Let's say want me to come back or not. Yeah. So, and not saying it's up to them. It's, I, right now, I'm happy. I want to do this. Been not unable to do interviews or shows, hang out. Not saying they, people didn't allow you to hang out with your family, but going to a trade show, hanging out with Tim Jitzerho and all the other guys, Warren Davis, Paul Liedermeyer, and those guys that I worked with back in the day. And seeing them again and just holy shit, man. Pops everybody out as a family. How you guys doing? You're involved in a project that and once again, this is a this is me and this is how I was. Mm-hmm. 24-7-MK, no matter what. So I explained this to Jennifer, who's still there, character artist, Jennifer Hedger. I told her, like, I go, it just hit me that 24-7 on my mind, Mortal Kombat. And I said there was a moment where I was reflecting and other, I remember this. I would have two weeks to come up with my action choreography for a chapter in MK11 because our production cycle is so tight. I also had to do the, you know, help out in the, the game side as well as do that and, and whatever else cropped up, whether it's performance or performance capture or illustration or design and designing like something, a fatality or whatever. I remember being in the shower and it was the last day. It was the day I was going in to shoot a certain chapter. And I remember, I remember designing something, a fight and I'm in the shower and I'm not happy. And everybody understands this. Having that epiphany right as you're showering or as you're doing something weird and it's something just that you're normal every day and going, holy Mm. shit, that's what I have to do. Yeah, and that's what happened. I'm in the shower and I'm like, I'm redesigning this whole thing. Love what I drew out here. I'm going to go talk to these guys and talk to the director. And Lung Marty Stoltz, the director there for the cinematics, I would talk to him and say, can I do this? And he, we had such a great relationship. And this is with everybody in the studio that sometimes people just could say, yeah, it's like underneath that. Or you know what? I don't like that moment. Can you change mm. this? And being able to work and collaborate with somebody, just like Tobias and Chad, just like Ed and just like Bolo was in the beginning, and having other people being able to do that—that that, uh, being able to go, okay, I'm just going to rearrange everything. Let's do it this way, and then we're slending bank. Going, holy cow! I was thinking about that a lot, and there's no way to. Other than to say it in words to you guys, and you already know this, everybody can reflect. When you're obsessed with something, you think about it all the time, no matter what. And then when you're in a relaxed moment and you're back where you're like, why was I so obsessed with that? I could have just been, and not saying draw back, you know, how much you're involved, but at least you need to take a break. And I think that's where I am, right? You need to take this break. You know, I need a break, you know, right? need to do this, tell, you know, what I did and also the contributions and also hear the support that the stories that you guys had mentioned, everybody, I had heard so many stories that I like, sometimes I bought to tear and talking to my brother 
and a bunch of the other guys, holy cow, we're very touched by the moments that everybody comes up and says, and we want to hear that because we want to know, like, how did we, how did you support us and how did, because we want to contribute, give something back to you guys for doing this for us. It's, I mean, uh, it's take just, a step back that It's something that we've seen echoed with past guests, with other conversations we've had, everybody who's been involved with Mortal Kombat has clearly shown such intense passion for the franchise and not just the franchise, but also in interacting with the fans. And that's something that we as fans in this community really hold dear because it demonstrates to us that we've, we've grown up with this series, but in a way, so have all of you. And it's so easy for us to be able to interact with one another, just purely with that sort of basis in mind, that shared basis, really. Yes, like it's time, uh, who knows for the future. But on the other hand, it also, as you said, allows you to be able to interact with the fans on a closer level, which uh, I mean, I, speaking for Phantom and myself, at least, and I'm pretty sure the Realmcast listeners too, we really truly appreciate. So I'll take this moment to say thank you <laughs> for coming on. We really do enjoy these conversations yeah. and it's an honor to be able to speak to you today. No, the honor of mine, I really appreciate it. It's that, and like you just said, summed it up. It's that empathy. It's just there. Just, uh, otherwise, <laughs> uh, why would you drive an hour, an hour plus people? And, and it's, we like taking those trips and we like just seeing everybody, all our friends. You guys are friends. We haven't met you yet. We just, you said you grew up with us. And, but the thing is we didn't grow up with you, but we want to know the, we want to know why are we, you grew up with us more or less, right? I mean, I, it is touching. I'm curious, what, what was it, what was this feeling like? Well, it was a pretty surreal to portray Raiden the Thunder God one last time before he left. Did you know that was going to be your last time playing him? Or what was going to go with your line as you were wrapping up that chapter in your life? That's, <laughs> I'm always playing Raiden because it's me. Yeah. Whether I'm at, I looked at it like when you're at a show taking pictures and this is something like this is another thing that, that certain performers don't accept. And I'm like in this day, every performer, it's just, just, they hate being stereotyped to an extent. I'm going to quit after doing one or two or three or whatever. And they all steps in. But I think all of us that have been the actor or performer for a certain character continue on because that is our, that's who we are. We, it's a character, but that's us. We define that to an extent. And I think that's why we're still, we still love reaching out to the friends and everybody and all the community. It's one of those things where it's like, it's difficult to put a little finger behind it because that's me. And I didn't look at it like, oh, that's the last time I'm playing Rain. Sure, I'll get to do it again. And if I don't, then I'm still angry. I'm comfortable with myself. With Raiden, because obviously he's such an iconic sort of character you play, as you said, he's, he's you. Was Raiden basically agreed within the studio to be the one character you mo-capped for, or was it also a shared responsibility? No, that's, uh, and this is another moment. Like, I, I remember having a discussion once where, because... Sometimes you're so passionate, you don't, you have your blindfold is on and you're like, I'm just doing everything. I'm going to do everything. Yeah. Step back sometimes. Like I said before, you know, whether it's take a break or you're having that moment where you're just clouded by your such 
I was told once, hey, you got to step back a little bit. Yeah, because I'm not young anymore. And it wasn't said because of, it wasn't said because, hey, you're old now. It was just like, hey, you're doing a lot of shit. You can take a step back and Mm. you're still directing people doing this and that. So it took a while for me to get to that point because once again, I'm stubborn and sometimes I'm fucking hard to work with. Now I'm easier because I'm just philosophically a little different. I would say 10 years ago, I was like, nah, I'm not fucking <laughs> stepping back. I'm doing all this shit. Now, you know, just to be arrogant. And it was like, hey, there's got to be a balance because, you know, your cup has to be filled again. You're an empty cup and people fill it. And sometimes you're emptying it out. And sometimes it's always empty and you're like, mm. shit, I just get up old. And I think it took me a while to be like, hey, let's have these guys, the younger cats, come in. And I also got to vet all the talent that came in. And I'd, lo- I'd like to say, I, uh, there is a pool of the best. And I picked some of them. I wish I would, I was able to work with all, but continue on working with all these towns and stunt people and performers. But there was a moment where I stepped back and I did the step back, but there's a, a couple of people that would come in and we want them to be great. And I worked out with them before and I was happy taking that step back and go, yeah, these guys can do it because they grew up on the franchise. They know fighting games are just like us gamers, but they also know what to, what the limits are. It, it's funny that instead of that stock community, all of the performers, all of them, a lot of them play hmm. video games. A lot of them are like us passionate and view movies and everything. And when you tell them like, Hey, we're doing <laughs> this character. They're like, Oh, you mean we did alien naked passes. I thought, you know, how he comes off and then a whole moment of how they move and everything. And I studied the first and second one and yeah, yeah, I got a coach. I can do this and being able to relate to somebody and go, yeah, that guy's got it. I don't have to, I just say a couple directions and they, they fucking mm. absorb like a sponge and they know, yeah, yeah. Having performers, a director, and everybody who's all on the same signal. And sometimes that signal might be off a little bit, but you got to tune it to, to, to get to that level. Having everybody all on that same signal, just you get great harmony. And two, your cost production you goes down. You become more efficient. Immense. You know exactly what you the know, other person needs. Like, yep. Exactly. Yeah. I hate using the word. It sounds kind of machinist. Kind of, I get you, that, yeah. Point is great. Exactly, exactly. Everybody's used that so much that, <laughs> that now they want a new word. But efficient is the word. Yeah, yeah. you become like just cog. It's, you know, it's just, yeah, perfect. And once again, it was great to to step back and go, yeah, these guys got it. Or be like, you know what? No, I got to push you guys more. Because that's the other thing I'm doing was, even though they did the character in directing, I knew exactly how a kick was thrown or how a kick should look, or even if it was on a certain angle, I was able to push the performer or myself. Hey, dude, like this. There were some guys that were uncomfortable. I'll mention this. Very talented individual, Eric Jacobus, but he could tell you, this is my limit. But I knew him so well. I'm not saying I don't know him as well as his wife or somebody that's super close to that or, or God himself. But I knew he had an in him. But sometimes where you're like, okay, I can't push this person. They're going to get hurt. Or I can't push this person. They're right. They can't do it. Then you swap them out. That's great synergy. But Eric, I knew he could do this. And I'd like, he was like, I don't know that style or I don't know this or that. And I said, work on this for five minutes. I'll show you the shortcuts. 
it'll be good enough for everyone else. But if I was looking at it or my brother, we would be like, nope, that's, but that's not what we're about. This is, we're making a video game and we got to get it good enough. So if he didn't want to do it and I said, it, cool, I want these five people out here. You're the guy doing it. He's like, but cushioned and it looked fantastic when he did the, did the work. Like he was the Shane song in MK11 when he was doing the Dodge, Dodge stuff. They right? did a great job. Him and Nate, at Nate and Brendan Yurk as, as, as Nightwolf. Everybody had that uh, Lauren Barry Chin, Tecla, all those people, Mindy Keller, great people to work with. And I knew their limits and I knew when to push them and be like, hey, that kid, yeah, I've seen you, that kid, you know, granted they might have been working all day. Now I push people to be like, hey, you got to be 110% for all of this. They'll, and I know when to push you when you're tired, take five minutes take a half hour. I know when to push people and when not too. And I think as a director, sometimes we need to step back and go, okay, I know when to get, we'll get the best shot. Obviously if it's daylight or something you can't control, maybe when you're doing a shoot or a brief or a case, you can't push it. It has to be this right moment. It's gotta be right now. But sometimes, hey, take a half hour, take a break or kind of reflect and see how I can attack this. But I'm curious <laughs> then so. just with leaving the role of Raiden, behind are there any specific inflections as we called them that you've sort of recent ones because you've already showed us the whole motion that you had before anything that you've left Raiden with more recently that you would say is yours then that's difficult to say because you know what I mean when you're in the studio and you're when you're with the performer and you say can you do it this way and they interpret it but sometimes they'll say, hey, how did you do this? And then you'll show them that and they'll take it and they'll interpret it a little bit or they'll take it in the direction they want to go in. It, it, not so much. I would say to answer your question, but yes. You know what I mean? There, there's a, It's a 50-50. Sometimes it's, yes, this is Raiden. This is what I defined. And two, this is but the performer, whoever they got in the past, and he did that. That's his, that's his moment, more or less. Obviously the iconic, this pose will always be, yes, I defined it, but also, yeah, but also John mm. came up with it, the side cabinet art. And there, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of elements in, in, in all of the characters that are still me and are still something that I define more or less, even though design was like, Hey, do it like this. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do it like that. But then I want this inflection. Cause it's all your motion. It's all you. Exactly. Exactly. And it, there's still some of that. In so do you have any newer ongoing projects that you'd like to share with our listeners or be it where can people find you now? I'm on Instagram, carlos.vecina or however that I've been off for social media ever for about two years. And then finally, when I retired, I'm like, I'll get back into it. And then it just snowballed. My brother's like, Hey, can you do the show? Hey, can you do the, it was fantastic. I was like, Oh yeah. Like I want to get to hang out with my brother. I'm going to do that shit. And Rich, the first show I did was with Tony Marquez, my brother, Rich, John Parrish, bought my son with, cause that's his uncle. You gotta understand the kids. Kids were loving it when like daddy's more immortal combat. And then. By the time we went to Galloping Ghost one time, it's, I signed a lot and they were like, oh, yeah, I did steal signing shit. 
But by, by the bigger events, they were like, oh, cool. We're going to Gallup and Ghost. You're <laughs> signing. I just want to go play video games. Yeah. <laughs> so right now, no projects, just more or less focusing on the past six months, doing more of these, more inventions, more my own projects. Meaning when I mean my own project, like I'll do a drawing or I'll do a painting myself and if that's something I like, it's my own thing. Doing a lot of stuff at home because I, I own a ranch and then it takes up two to three hours out of your whole day doing that, which I love. It gets me outside and I want to do my own thing out there and then take a break, smoke a cigar or like at night, Jennifer wants to hang out and deck and whatever. And everybody else who want to relax because, you know, we just been working so hard. But it's one of those things where every now and then I'll help out a somebody on a project but it'll be like a day or two that'll get me into the like, oh, I just want to do it again. But then the next day I'm like, ah, I want to do my own thing to get And it's, yeah. You know, cause you were doing something that they truly for 30 years. It's a weird shift in routine, and right? It's took me a while. I, yeah. It took me, I'd say for the first month I was like, oh, okay, I got to do, you know, that we're going to do this, got to do this was in that mode. And the second month let out a th- th- uh, exhale for a second though. And then they got to be where, okay, I'm going to just do my own thing. You know, just do what I want, take care. I'm also take care of, as well as my other brothers, my elderly parents, able to focus on that and focus on my daughter had a, some, a surgery she had to go through and able to thank the Lord. This all happened at the right time, able to focus on her recovery and everything else. And my own thing and, and and spend more time with friends because during the development cycle once again i was it's my own fault i was absorbed or went and hung out with my friend bill schmoke he's been asking me for 15 years come up to the <laughs> cottage come up we got a boat get out of the boat sun all day go swimming and it, during those 28 15 to 20 plus years have been like nope got a got a deadline nope we got two weeks off i can't do that i gotta do this because i'm gonna be at home i gotta take care of all of this stuff but for us our home is our vacation home because we love it out there and so gotta work on that and then once i'm done go back to the studio and do all that again so now i've been able to do that and hang out with andrew kodalka which is one of the guys who you help yeah, yeah. Introduced me to John and also helped out uh, with the comic and some other stuff and uh, mythologies and did some artwork and then just different people hang out with Tony. I haven't, you know, I see Tony, it's for a half hour. Hey, you both here, throw some cakes. Cool. Yeah. I'll see you later. But actually hang out and we're having dinner and shooting the shit. You know, I haven't yeah. done that for two <laughs> stuff like this right now. Yeah. Like getting to know people. I haven't had time to do it, which I love to or eat Robin noodles <laughs> and hot dogs, but it's not about money. With the Raiden Superman attack, did you do the, well, the voice acting? I'm not even going to try. Uh, maybe I could try. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> did you do that or was it someone else? That I didn't do. That's Dan Fortin joint. Uh-huh. But it's the story goes is that, and once again, I don't remember all of this, but I had, John wanted the Superman move on to the stairs. Or on, he wanted the Superman move. And then my brother was like, no, we got to do it on the stairs. Cause you get that, you got the vertical and then the horizontal. I had to act like, you know, I'm here and then do this. And the best way to capture it was the way my brother had said on the stairs and practice it the whole time. We're all good. Yeah, cool. Get ready to record. And when we do that, I fucking smash my nuts <laughs> right on the stairs. Cause you got to use your core and everything. But I, 
did it like this as opposed to like the <laughs> I'm feeling it. Course of the years, yeah, it was horrible. So we joked about that all day, and I'm. This would have been nice if they were like, "Hey, you know what? Let's do a sound call. It's similar to that. If that's how it originated, that would be great." But I smashed my another moment where I went 110 percent for the MK universe. There, that's awesome. Yeah, it's neat. Carlos, before we let you go. I'd like to ask you, what is your favorite Mortal Kombat finisher? Fatality, brutality, friendship even? Yeah, I always say it's all of them, but I always keep going back to the one from MK10 with the stamp where he rams it down the that's, victim's that's throat. That's a good one. He you know, electrocutes <laughs> Yeah, I love that work. And it's one of those things where, you know, I, that one, and then there's also the, because I came up, I don't know who designed that. That was a great design. Yeah, all of them are great. And then here's a funny story real quick. I'm taking up time. No, it's cool. Whenever we get into the studio, and if it's a design I haven't seen, that it's just presented right there. It was always, we would always try to, we couldn't take it further because that's the design. And sometimes we just come up with the most funniest shit in that studio. And, and kudos to Ed for having the patience to, He's a human being too. He would laugh with us and stuff, but I know in the back of all of our minds and the production was like, okay, stop laughing and just fucking capture this. Even though it wasn't like that, you just have so much fun. But the one I designed, which uh, I harken back to, is the Boracho one with the torch where he lights the torch and then farts. <laughs> I came up with that to do all that. Just funny. There's so many of them that are funny. Don't do it. Then you look at it and you're like, wow, this fucking genius. Kung Lao throws his head down and then fucking grabs the guy. It splits up in hand. People just think of the greatest stuff here. Yeah. What they're designing out that's fantastic. Or like, now the net. Yeah. That's goes such a good one. And you're fucking <laughs> chopped up into pieces. Yeah. You know, we all have our favorites. And there's a, what's funny is there is a story behind every single one of those, whether it's in the studio or post. Afterwards, that would actually yeah. be really cool to hear about the stories behind many fatalities. That would be a very interesting sort of analysis yeah. of maybe not people, but <laughs> of the games themselves, of the fatalities behind, or the people behind the fatalities, I suppose. There, there is because here's another one. I know, Jake. This is this. I have to take a second. That's cool. Aquaman, MK versus DC. There was supposed to be a fatality. I think. Tony Gosky or Ed had mentioned this where like a fucking shark comes out of the water and then you're like like the whole Jaws moment and I remember being at Rick Chase's office and just that synergy because this used to happen in when I was working on Open Ice with Tobias and John Bogle sometimes they would have a whiteboard instantly draw characters of each other that would get a laugh out of it this was the same situation where it was like Tony had mentioned the idea and I immediately as new as an official person, like this is fucking the Jaws poster, drew a shark. And then on one side I had like a shrewd, like Aquaman doing this shit. And then the water splashing and then somebody up on top, like hey, arched and like the shark ready to eat up. And it's just like, it's like, yeah, that's why I fucking <laughs> just having those moments. This is this. That's a small moment for that. Each one of them had something like that. But yeah, the Raiden one, like, and cinematic-wise, 
Yeah, I think this last one for the choreography was 11 was great. I was able to be a little more freer and not having a, a lot of burden being creative and having a great director like Marty Stoltz, Dan Whalen, and all the rest, Pat Keller and those guys, other than working with the animators and in-game and follow on those guys. Just this fantastic opportunity. And one more thing. want to thank God. I thank my family and my friends such as yourself. And that I say here is just to reflect that my opinion, not a corporation, just myself. You know, this, you know, weird memory of things. <laughs> Carlos, we appreciate you coming on the show so much. We could talk to you all day. I think we're probably going to be heavy come back. Just to hear more stories because yeah. we love it. <laughs> what we haven't touched on mythologies, we haven't touched on Shaolin right. monks. Oh, plen- uh, trust me, I had some questions on exactly that that I would love to ask, but we'll have to save yeah, that for yeah. another time for sure. I think we need a part two. Yep. Yeah. John, John Edwards worked on Shaolin monks and he was also a designer on yeah, just a shout out to all of these great tales to the individuals. And that's about just, you know, the mobile stuff, worked on a lot of mobile, worked on, worked with Sal during downtime for NBA hang time and jam and all those games and stranglehold. John game at Midway was doing in between projects. There's so much. Yeah, dude, there's, yeah, a lot. You're shouting out lots of people and we obviously, as us would like to say, as fans of Mortal Kombat, would like to say thank you to you as well as those people, not just for coming on the episode and chatting with us, but for really everything you've done, really put your heart, your soul, you put your body on the line literally over all these years for us. So thank you very much for all of what you've done for Mortal Kombat. Yeah. No, thank you for the support. You guys are, you guys have been amazing. Seriously. And yeah, we can do this again. We'll have a bar. You guys will be here live, whether it's at my place or we pick a place or and then we just all sit there with our cigar and shoot the shit <laughs> and each other. What happened in your day today? <laughs> Ed, we'd like to thank you, the listeners, yeah. for joining us on the Railcast today. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Moral Combat Group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Moral Combat Game Realm, which is also on Instagram. You can also join our official Discord channel hosted on Mortal Kombat Online server through the link in the description, where we discuss Mortal Kombat along with our listeners. And special thanks to African Editions for their continued support. The Realmcast is the official podcast of Mortal Kombat Online. And you can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, right. Facebook, <laughs> iTunes, Spotify, and MortalKombatOnline.com. Thank you, and thank you, Carlos, for that. My ball!